going to be about rejection. And um, if we're going to grow the church, we can, you know, people look for programs. As far as church um, leaders go, they look at programs. They look at, oh, you know, we're going to have this big event. It's going to draw people. And really what draws people is a one-on-one evangelism. And that's what grows the church is personal relationships. And if you're suffering with rejection, it's going to be very difficult for you to reach out. It's going to be very difficult for you to get to know other people because you've got that spirit of rejection on you. So we have to be kind to one another. And I I think about my early walk with the Lord. I had a great, it was a tiny church. It probably wasn't any bigger than this. It was about eight or ten people. And um, the pastor and his wife, the pastor came over when I first got saved. He came over once a week and gave me little lessons, little basic lessons, me and, and my son. And I remember those lessons throughout. And I remember how kind they were. And everybody in the church was kind. And then I went to a different church, and I had the two genes, Jean and Jean, that mentored me. They took me places. I got to watch their lives because I didn't know anything. I wasn't, like, raised by wolves, but I might as well have been. I didn't know how to act. I was socially awkward. And this is why when people come through this door, we have to be very careful about being judgmental and critical of them. You don't know what their upbringing is. You don't know what they've been through. You don't know why the way they they are the way they are. But see, if you've been rejected, then sometimes and uh, we're going to make this a two-parter because it's um it's pretty long. So today we're going to get some of the meats and bones, and then next week we're going to talk about judgment and criticism. And I hope you come back for that because um, it really is good. But I, I want to start off with Hosea two fifteen. And I will give her her vineyards from thence in the valley of Acre for a door of hope. And the valley proclaims to the believer who has suffered defeat that the very area of such defeat can become their area of victory. And that's from Jimmy Swigert. So if you feel rejected all the time, look up because that can be your very area of victory. If you allow to renew your mind and you've got to let go because rejection sometimes starts from the time you were in the womb and you don't even realize it. Sometimes we were rejected in the womb. Like all, I was always told growing up I was the accident. I was the little caboose. I was six years after they had three kids. Boom, boom, boom. Three, two years in a row. First, second, third. And then there was a six year span and I was quote unquote the accident. I like to think of myself as the caboose, not the accident. But I was told all my life I was the accident. So sometimes you get from the womb rejected that mom doesn't want the baby. Maybe they thought about aborting that baby. Um, Maybe there was abuse involved. But sometimes you're rejected from the womb. You don't even realize it as you grow up. But that spirit of rejection is, is there. So how can it be that this could be our greatest area of victory? Because we have to forget the cruel things that were done and said to us and forgive. Forgiveness is Christianity 101. We have to learn how to forgive. Rejection is painful, but you can learn to be confident. You can learn to accept yourself. You can learn, and I am proof of that. 
because when I first started in my Christian walk, you wouldn't get me behind a microphone. And now here I am, because why? Because I've conquered rejection. It doesn't matter to me. Well, I mean, it does matter to me whether you like the message or not. It matters more to me, though, whether God says, well done, good and faithful servant. Clarence and I were called to this church, and it isn't like, and when you know you've been called, that it doesn't matter. The rest of the thing doesn't matter. We're accepted by God, amen? Whether there's 10 people, 20 people, 100 people, you know, preachers are funny. They get together and they go, well, how many people do you have in your church? Well, you know, I have, you know, well, I have 20. You know, how many do you have? I have 600. You know, just the amount of people in a church in the pew is not the measure of success. It's the measure of have you obeyed God? Have you obeyed God? And I'm not saying that as a, an out for having a small church because we're going to grow. Amen. But sometimes we think that if we say no to somebody, that we're rejecting them. Well, no is a good word. And we might have to teach on boundaries someday. Amen? Because sometimes people who have been so severely rejected, if you tell them no, they think it's something against them, not their idea. See, we have to separate the ideas that people have with their person. If I say no, it doesn't mean that I'm rejecting you as a person. I'm rejecting that particular idea. And see, people who have been rejected have a hard time if somebody says no to them. Because they feel like, well, you know, who are you? They, they've got problems with control. They're manipulative. There's all these kinds of things, but we'll get to that in the second one. Now I'm just laying up the theme, laying up the foundation for this. Somebody comes to us for money or help, and we don't have to help them. I see people on the sides of the road asking for money, and it's like, dude, there's jobs all over the place. You're spending eight hours. I mean, wait till it's 105 outside. You're going to be out in this corner asking for money? Go in where it's air-conditioned. Flip a burger. Get some money. It doesn't mean I'm not a Christian. Because you can't just give out so people will accept you. I don't care, and I don't mean it like I don't care. This is just the New Englander in me. I don't care if somebody likes me or not, and I'm not going to say yes just so somebody's going to like me for that moment. Because people are manipulative. Mm -hmm. If they want something from you, they'll say all kinds of good things to you. Somebody was telling me recently they were on the phone with somebody and talking to them about something, and then they hung up. Well, the other person accidentally butt-dialed them back, and she could hear everything that the man was saying about her. Okay? God has his ways of warning you about people and about motives. Be kind to one another. That's what the Bible says. Don't say anything about them that you wouldn't say to their faces. That will keep you out of so many troubles. I'd like to say I'm 100% good at that. I'm probably like 90% good at it. Sometimes I do slip, okay? But... I am very careful 
because I haven't walked in your shoes, I haven't walked in your shoes, I haven't walked in your shoes. People behave the way they do. They're upbringing all kinds of things that we know nothing about. So don't talk about them because they do weird things. Do you know that that could absolutely turn somebody out of the church? Well, look who's here. Hey, Cindy. You feeling better? Yes, I am. Amen. Hallelujah. But don't reject anyone. Don't reject anybody. The root of rejection, some one, one person came home from World War II and he was greeted at the door by his father who said, oh, look at this, Mama, another mouth to feed. This man carried rejection. He became an alcoholic. He was very harsh and critical with his children. And it got passed down to generation to generation. And that's what the strategy of the devil is, is to start a root of rejection early on. And in this generation, he, hasn't he done a good job? Because we have a fatherless generation. Mm-hmm. And people who are fatherless have a tendency to be very bitter and angry because they've been rejected. And if they reject their father, their father has rejected them. It's very difficult to tell them about a God who loves them because they've been rejected. People who are in relationships with people who have a strong rejection in them end up frustrated because the rejected person is very difficult to live with. The rejected person may expect their spouse, children, or those close to them to agree with them all the time. Because like I said earlier, rejection means rejection of the whole person, not that one idea. There's often no healthy discussion in the family or difference of opinion expressed because the rejection, the rejected person sees that as rejection of them. So it's, it's not a healthy situation. It's healthy to be able to say, well, you know, if that's your opinion, that's fine, but I, I disagree with you. And you don't have to be ugly about disagreeing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, if I'm walking toward a cliff, somebody please tell me. Tell me that I'm gonna fall I'm gonna fall off a cliff. Don't just go, oh, well bless your little heart. <laughs> look at you, look at you go, girl. And I'm just going right off the cliff. Well see, this is what happens with rejected people is because they have to have their own way in order to feel safe. And you can't tell them anything. Why? Because if you say something, they're offended, they give you the silent treatment, it's the whole nine yards. So, see, and if you've got those tendencies in you, then you've got a spirit of rejection. You need to be free of it. So here's some of the symptoms, and I got this from coping.org. So this is like, like not a lot of scripture, but it's a lot of symptoms, which I thought were pretty good. The fear of rejection is, one, the irrational fear that others will not accept me for who I am, what I believe, and how I act. Number two, a pervasive motivator for caution in my behavior and interaction with others. If you've always come from the lens of rejection, remember we talked about the different lenses that we can see from. If you're seeing from rejection, you're going to be a little cautious all the time. You know, if you've ever been burned by a trusted friend, you're a little cautious the next time about friends and making friends because you've been burned. 
The state of mind that makes me incapable of doing or saying anything for fear of others' rejection, lack of acceptance, or disapproval. You might see me walking toward the cliff, but you don't want to risk my wrath, so rather than risk my wrath, you're going to let me walk off the cliff. I mean, look at it in that terms. It seems stupid, doesn't it? Nobody would do that. Oh, yes, we do it all the time if we're afraid of saying something to somebody. The state of being individuals who are overly dependent on the approval, recognition, or affirmation of others in order to feel good about themselves. How did I do? Did I do okay? Did I do okay? Is that pretty? Did, did I look all right? Did I? All those questions signify that there's rejection there, or you're dealing with the spirit of rejection. A self-censoring attitude that inhibits creativity, productivity, and imagination in one's approach. Um, they probably won't like that, so let's just not say that. I think we can do this better, but I know how she is when she receives some criticism or some correction, so I'm not going to say that. So think about it. Just think about me walking off that cliff. Um, okay, uh, Pat, there's a better way to get there, mm -hmm. and it's not going on the cliff. Uh, the driving force between many, behind many people that keeps them from being authentic human beings. They are so driven by the need of acceptance of others that they lose their own identity in the process. They mimic the ways in which other people's act, dress, talk, think, believe, and function. They become the three-dimensional clones or of the role models they so desperately need to emulate in order to gain acceptance. So you may dress, talk, whatever, because you say, oh, well, that's where the cool people live. That's how the cool people do it, so I'm going to do it too because I want to be cool. Mm -hmm. I did not grow up in the cool group. I wanted to be a cool person, but I was not at all cool, which, looking back, is probably was probably better for me to not be a member of the cool group. But at the time, and then you look at the cool group, and people in the cool group have the same self-esteem issues as people in the not cool group. But you don't realize that at the time. We have that underlying process in the power of peer pressure that grabs and holds and makes people act in stereotypic pop culture ways. People join gangs because they're not accepted by their family a lot of times. The energy-robbing attitude that leads to self-immobilization, self-defeating, and self-destructive behavior. This attitude encourages ongoing irrational thinking and behaving, resulting in personal stagnation, regression, and depression. The driving force of some people for all the actions in their lives. It plays a part in the choices concerning their education, career direction, work behavior, achievement level, interpersonal and marital relationships, family and community life, and the way in which they spend their leisure time. Oh, I want people to see me as successful, so I'm going to drive this kind of a car. I'm going to marry this kind of a person so people will know I'm successful. That's not why I married you. I just want you to know that. <laughs> I saw you go, uh, amen. The act of giving, and I thought this one was really important. 
the act of giving to others more power than I give myself over how I feel about myself. If somebody disapproves of me, then it just shatters my whole existence. My mom always wanted a nurse in the family. I don't know if she was like planning for old age and thought if she had a nurse, but my three of my sisters did not obey and I was the caboose. So she pressured me. I wanted to be a writer from the time I can't remember, probably since I was 12 years old. I always wanted to write, loved to write, loved to write fiction stories. And my mom was like so disappointed and she let me know that that was not a good career choice, that she wanted a nurse. If you know anything about me, like if they're, if we're watching a show and like they have guts on it or anything, it's like, okay, you can just tell me when it's safe to look again. I can't, I was glad that I had kids that didn't need trips to the emergency room, um, don't like limbs out of place, <laughs> guts hanging out, um, not, not a nurse, not fascinated by the heart. They showed, um, I think it was in sixth grade, we had a film on a heart and if they showed an actual heart, well, it wasn't my thing at all. So my mom did not get a nurse. So, you know, but if I wanted to please her, I would have become a nurse just to make her happy. But it wouldn't have been my career choice. I would have been a terrible nurse. I have no bedside manner. It would have been like, here's your medicine. Okay, you know, <laughs> I think I've improved since my 20s. But I have no bedside manner to speak of. You can ask my daughter. She'd come in in the middle of the night crying. and I had a hard time getting up in the middle of the night, and I always send her over to her dad. Well, of course, he worked nights, so getting up at 2 o'clock, he was just going to bed anyway. So he usually managed the overnight stuff because I just couldn't get up. So it didn't make me a bad mother. It just made me who I am. I'm just not one that fusses like that. So I'm not a nurse. I don't have that in me. But... What others say or feel about me is the detriment, is the determinant of how I feel about myself. If somebody calls me stupid, I feel stupid. If somebody says I did a good job, then I'm, I'm happy that day. If somebody comes along and says, oh, you did a terrible job, I'm sad that day. See, it clouds what other people say about you, clouds your thinking. You can't be like that. You've got to have enough self-esteem that whatever anybody else says, whether it's positive or negative, we're just going to move forward. You know, if you don't like it, then, you know, what is it? Just shrug it off. You know, I'm sorry you feel that way. God made me who I am. I can't help it. There's things I can do inside to hone my personality, and there's things that you can do. But overall, we have our personalities because God gave it to us. Some are extroverted. Some are introverted. You know, some people, they just love, they gotta, they've got to be where the action is. They've got to go out, they've got to do things. And then there's other of us who, not so much, that like to be by themselves and like to do things by themselves. And not that they don't like people, they're just more comfortable in a quieter atmosphere. Other people have to have people around them all the time. So you have to know who you are and be satisfied with who you are. I, I am completely at the mercy of others how I, of how happy or sad I will be if we're under a spirit of rejection. 
My self-satisfaction and belief in myself is in their hands. Fear of rejection is the abdication of power and control over my own life. I love what Dr. Livingood says. It's my battle cry. It's been this since August. I have the power to change my life, and only I do. I can't wait for somebody else to do it for me. I can't wait for somebody else to do it for me. You know why? Because they're dealing with their own lives. I can't wait for somebody to help me. I have to do it. Do it for me, right? Do it for me. It says in Ephesians 1.6, To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved. He's made us accepted in the beloved. Memorize that scripture if you have problems with rejection. God's made us accepted. Faith is allowing God to have the control. And that's scary for somebody who's been rejected. How can I give somebody control that I can't even see? And we call God my father, and I didn't have a real good father experience. Well, now we've got two strikes against God. So sometimes as Christians, we come into the kingdom, and if we don't have loving mentors, which we're all going to be when we start getting new people in, we're going to be loving mentors, and we're going to, check on people, we're going to call them, we're going to visit them, we're going to go take them places, and that's what it's going to take, and we're not going to talk about them where they're at. Mm -hmm. Amen? Mm -hmm. Been there, done that. Been in the place where, you know, I, God knows what everybody was saying about me when I first came into the kingdom. Walk in love. Be accepting. Why? Because Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. I mean, even if you, all right, let's say you were a great person when you got saved. God was up there going, I just wish they'd get saved. They could be a great person. See, in our minds, if we were great people, we weren't that great because he called us all sinners. So there, that should burst the balloon of the cool kids who think they were all that because you're not all that. And so one little girl said, we have VBS. God, 15 years I did VBS, and I loved every minute of it. And they were picking on this little girl, and I was coloring with her, and she just looked up and she goes, Miss Pat, those girls just think they're all that, and they're not. <laughs> so we used to say that. She thinks she's all that, and they're not. So here's some causes for rejection. This is still from coping.org. Some causes. Lack, healthy self-concept, self-worth, or self-esteem because they were never fully affirmed in their family of origin. Okay, A lot of these rejection problems come from your family. They come from, you know, my mother was very critical. She was extremely critical, and she was very hard, not on me. I was one of her good kids. She always said she had two good kids and two bad kids. Well, I was one of the good ones. Why? Because I never gave her any trouble. I never opened my mouth. I was too scared to open. I was a very timid child, so I was very scared to open my mouth when I was growing up. I had two sisters, my oldest sister, who's the pit bull of the family, that if you said anything bad about me, she, she would, you would have to go through her first. And then my other sister, Jean, who's the pilot, got her PhD. She was the other bad kid. And my sister Carol and I were just kind of quiet. I don't think Carol was shy. 
I think my mom liked her the best. And I was the baby because everybody loves a baby, right? I couldn't help it where I was born in the family. I was the baby. I was the cute little baby. So I was the good kid, and I learned early on after watching the family clashes, just if you just don't say anything, then nobody bothers you. So that was kind of my defense. I just was very shy and very quiet. So I didn't have that growing up. I didn't have the the atmosphere that I needed to be nurtured. nurtured. And, and maybe many of you didn't either. But we can learn. I had to learn. I was watching people all the time. I mean, growing up, we had these family gatherings. My cousins would be running around. They'd be pretty much, you know, putting arrows through their heads and screaming and having a great time. Well, not our kids, not our family. We had to sit on the couch and not move, and we could have one cookie. And, and the other kids are running around, and they're, you know, this is a true, this is true story. And we learned no interpersonal relationships. We didn't know how to interact because we, we couldn't. You know, you just sit there and you'd be good. Why? Because my family, my dad was the one that was said, oh, my, you know, mom, here's another mouth to feed. So my dad was very sensitive and very critical and very harsh with us, as well as my mother, because they didn't want anybody to see anything in our family. Of course, you know, with my dad, I guess I, guess I know why he didn't want anybody to see anything going on in our family. But when you grow up like that, you have to relearn. That's why God says when you get saved, you have to renew your mind. See, I'm not that person anymore. But if you go and criticize my background, you might hurt me and might send me back into a shell. In my early days, now it's like I can talk about it, everything is fine. But we have to be very careful when people come in. You don't know what their background is, you don't know how they were raised, you don't know anything about them. And you have to trust the discernment of the Lord on how to how to minister to them because of rejection. Alright, number two. Had a traumatic traumatic experience of rejection, for example, a divorce separation that deeply scarred them. Three have lacked appropriate role models in life who accepted them for who they really were. They're insecure in their personal identity with a debilitating lack of self-confidence. I had zero self-confidence. Not a problem anymore. So you can see when you go through that, that door of hope that you can overcome. If you're painfully shy, you can overcome. You can walk out the things of rejection. Lack of social skills to adapt to a reference group or may have suffered from social isolation in their early lives. Lack certain personal accomplishments which they feel set them apart and which contribute to their lack of self-confidence. Have a physical condition that they believe makes them unattractive to others. My friend Julie has wine, a port wine stain all over her face and her chest. And that's a, it's, it's really difficult for her to make friends, for her to feel secure because of the way she looks. Now she could put makeup on it if she wanted to, but honestly she has to find some makeup for sensitive skin because her skin's really, really sensitive. 
have been told all their life that they were second best or different over the black sheep, the scapegoat, or knew that they were totally different from their siblings. See, I was a good kid. My sister was out of control, both of bad kids. Why? Because they questioned authority. And I'm not, I'm not saying you should question authority, but I'm saying that they were a little more aggressive, and thank God that they were. So now we come to deductive reasoning and rejection, because when we've been rejected, our mind just doesn't function properly. And this is usually how it functions if we've been rejected. Deductive reasoning is logical thinking. To de derive a conclusion from something known or assumed. So we logically process in our deductive reasoning if we've been rejected like this. For an example, all dogs are animals. This is a dog. Therefore, this is an animal. This is how deductive reasoning works. Okay, we take a group and we say all dogs are animals. This is a dog. So the conclusion is the dog is an animal. So the truth of the conclusion is only dependent on our frame of reference. The conclusion might be logically true, but we have to start with a premise that's not absurd. And I'm going to give you another example how we think when we've been rejected. Example, the premise. All men hurt women. This is a man, therefore, this man is going to hurt me. Mm -hmm. All people hate me. This is a person, therefore, this person hates me. And this is how people with rejection think. They have a logical, it, it's a faulty premise, which has been, it's been shaped by childhood or by a traumatic experience. So, you know, you can change it to, if you've been hurt by um, people in school, in high school, and it was your peers, so you look and you go, okay, this is a woman, you know, all, all cool kids hate me. This is a cool kid, therefore she hates me. So we set these walls up with rejection because we don't want to be hurt again. We set them up with illogical thinking. I mean, that cool kid in high school may not be the cool kid 20 years down the road. You know, I've watched Mean Girls. I've seen, I've seen the movie. Actually lived the movie to a degree. I didn't have quite so much. But um, a person who operates in the rejection-oriented reasoning may reach absurd con conclusions because their ability to reason has been damaged. They've been damaged by criticisms, criticism from others or by the silence of neglect. If you neglect, it's just as bad as if you're criticized all the time. And people who have been rejected always think that when people are talking, they're always talking about them and what a bad person they are. So if you're thinking like that, then just, just know right now it's not true. There's other things in the world besides you, but we have, we've conditioned ourselves to think this way. Why? With a faulty premise. 
the faulty premise. It's it's Sister Frances. The, the faulty premise is that I've been rejected as a person, as a child. Now people, you know, or, or, you know, all people talk about me. This person is talking, so this person is talking about me. Okay, that's the faulty premise. It's not always true just because two people are talking, especially in a church situation. They're not always talking about you. But that's how we think when we've been rejected. That somebody is talking about me. We may avoid social situations because we're socially awkward and don't know how to act. That's why it's very important, and I tell you all the time, do not sit at the same table uh, at the fellowship all the time. Mingle. Find somebody new to sit with. Don't just sit with your family group. Go and sit with somebody different. We, I always look around. If somebody's sitting by themselves, that's where I go. Sit with somebody different. Don't sit with your family. You know everything about them. Go sit with somebody different. You know, well, what will my family think? I don't know. That's, that's up to you, what you want to do with it. But I don't think we should sit in the same place twice as far as a fellowship goes. Sit with other people. Don't ever let anybody sit alone ever, ever at a fellowship. You know why? Because they're not going to come back. Because they're going to feel rejected, and rightly so. We have to be careful in the church that we don't become a clique. That, you know, well, this is my family, and this is what I always do because it's my family. Well, if we're going to enlarge the family, we have to make room for other people. So make sure that you sit with them. Have you ever sat at a table by yourself? It's kind of embarrassing. It's a little bit difficult. But because I've overcome rejection, I'll just pick up my stuff and go sit somewhere else with somebody. See, this is the freeing part. If you're free from rejection, things like that don't bother you anymore because you fix it. You fix it. You become the solution to your own problem. You know, become the solution. Stop being the victim. You know, stop saying, oh, poor me, nobody's sitting with me. Well, get up and move. Move and go to a table where there's a seat. And if there's not, make a make a seat for you. Amen? I mean, sometimes we're so passive in the body of Christ because we have that underlying spirit of rejection that we take everything personally when it's not meant to be personal. Because the devil has got more room in our head than what God has in our head. Amen? And we just think, well, you know, they just don't like me. Well, they're maybe not thinking of you. That's why I'm telling you now, think of others. If you see them sitting by themselves, go sit with them. Learn about them. You might make a new friend. Amen? You might see something different. But don't, don't. Just mingle because people who have been rejected need a little more loving kindness and a little more loving care because they need to be told it's okay, it's safe. We're not going to criticize you. We're not going to judge you. We love you just the way that you are. Mm -hmm. And that's what it took for me to walk free was I had people in my life who took the time to mentor me, 
to help me, to pray with me, to listen to me, and to walk me out of some of these things. People who have rejected may not be able to distinguish between rejection and someone who has a healthy boundary and says no to their request. It's always about them. It's a very self-centered experience. And they may be offended because somebody says no. Okay, back to um, coping.org because it was such a good website on rejection. People who operate it out of fear of rejection. Here's some of the things that we do when we've been rejected. Number one, we display little or no assertiveness because it's too dangerous to say something because we're afraid of people. So we see me walking off the cliff, but I know it's going to make her mad if I say something, so sayonara. Do not speak up, which is kind of like number one, to let others know how they feel about something, especially if their opinions are different. Same reason, because you don't want to be yelled at by the other person who's totally out of control. Because their, their rejection problem is different than your rejection problem. And when you put two people together that have rejection problems, you have the making for one miserable relationship. Because one doesn't want to be told no, and then the one who's slightly passive isn't going to tell them no. Because they don't want the hassle of it or the grief of it. Lack the courage to function differently from others, even when they don't enjoy the behavior in which they are involved. Example, if somebody, you know, you have an unsafe spouse and they want to go out to the bar and you go with them because you're afraid to tell them no. Um, this is a big one. Resorts to passive aggressive behavior. It's dishonest, sneaky, and it allows for no information, for no open communication. So they do little things just to try to get the message to the other person that maybe they're not doing something that's nice or pleasing. And so we often resort to little passive aggressive and, you know, we'll go, well, you know, John wouldn't have done that. Susie wouldn't have done that if they were you. So we resort to these little passive aggressive things because we're too afraid to really say what we mean because we've been rejected. Playing games with people, they keep their personal feelings hidden, in tune with, with what is in, and make every effort to emulate it. So they're unstable. The Bible says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. People who've been rejected are unstable because they're always going whichever way that somebody's going to accept them. They privately express a great deal of anger or depression over how unfortunate, unhappy their current lifestyle is. Yet when helped to look at alternatives involving confrontation with others, they have a yes, but attitude. They want help. You try to give them help, but they really don't want help. It's like, yeah, but I had a little character when I was teaching in the four and fives. It was a hairbrush, his hairy brush, and he had a yeah, but attitude. And he was always butting everything. Because Harry knew better than anybody else about everything. Harry knew about everything. See, we can't be a yeah, but. Sometimes we have to receive it. But on the other end, uh, let's do it in a nice manner and don't point the finger that you, you are a lousy person. Because you don't 
do it my way. Well, you know, we have to learn how to criticize with love, and we have to learn how to accept it with love. Amen? Sometimes people can make pretty nasty, rotten comments, and there might be a grain of truth in it, but they've said it so ugly that even if there was some grain of truth in it, I've missed the point because you were so ugly about it that my, my defenses went up. You're all right, so I chew gum with my mouth open. But you didn't have to say it the way you said it. Because now my defenses go up and I'm going to chew twice as loud. Okay, so that's our attitude. See, we're all talking about attitudes, how we, how we, our attitude with people. We need to learn how to walk in love in every situation, whether we're on the receiving end of a criticism or whether we're on the giving end. And that's kind of going up. That was next week. I promised you we'd do that next week. Okay. But please come back. Um, they're dishonest with themselves. These are people who operate out of fear of rejection. They're dishonest with themselves so much so that it carries over with their interactions with others and they become habitual liars. Just because they can't, they, they just want to fit in. They just want to fit in. So we have to walk in love with people. We have to call them out on their lies, but we have to do it in love. We don't do it with criticism. We have to make sure that the guard, well, we have to make sure. Do you ever notice that sometimes when, when people are preaching, they'll tell a funny story or something, and then when you're laughing, then they'll tell a real truth? Why? Because your guard's down, because you're, you're relaxed. How much of a ministry are you going to get if the minister stands up and tells you what a rotten, crummy person you are and you're a worm and you're a sinner and you're a this and you're a that and then they try to tell you a Bible truth and John 3.16. Well, what's going to happen? Your guard's going to go up. The same thing is when you're talking with one another, walk in love. Tell the truth, but do it in love. Okay, well that was kind of like a preview. I'm getting ahead of myself. Maybe I should just jump over there, but I'm not going to because the rest of this is good too. I want to talk about being resilient. Resilient. It says, returning to the original form or position after being bent, compressed, or stretched. Recovering readily from illness, depression, adversity, and buoyant. The Latin derivative of to leap or to jump. I didn't know that to be resilient. The derivative is to leap or to jump. Just because you fail at something doesn't make you a failure. It just means the way you did it wasn't either the timing was off. Sometimes you do the right thing, but we get ahead of God. Sometimes we do the wrong thing and our motive is correct but we do the wrong thing to achieve the right thing, so we fail at it. You know, don't let failure deteriorate. You have to learn how to fail. You have to learn how to pick yourself up. You have to learn, otherwise you're gonna fall into a depression and you're gonna start that whole cycle over again. Well, I'm depressed, I don't feel good, I failed. I'm never gonna amount to anything. No, it's just you didn't do it the right way. Maybe God didn't call you to do that. Maybe you're trying to do something outside of your grace level. 
But don't let failure deter you. You need to accept that just because you fail from time to time, it's not an attack on your person. We fail, we get up, we pick ourselves up, and then we move on. It's not permanent. Failure isn't permanent. Success isn't permanent. So we have to learn how to deal with success as well as failure. You can learn just as much from a failure as you learn from success. Mm -hmm. So you go, not going to put my hand on that stove anymore. I learned that. People who have been rejected are not very resilient and they won't engage in activities where they may fail. So they really stunt your growth. It stunts your growth to carry around that rejection because you won't ever try nothing then. Because you have that yeah, but I tried it once and didn't work out. So guess I'm not. Guess I'm not a preacher. Guess I'm not a this or a that because I tried it once and everybody laughed at me. Did that once? Well, no. Failure is a part of succeeding. Every great inventor the first time did not get the invention right. Mm -hmm. We think because we're in this microwave, you put it in the oven and it comes out. Well, we think that's how our life is. Do it once, comes out right, and that's it. Yay me. But that's not how life works, and I know that you know that from experience, because that's rarely happened. We can tell from our knitting class, the first time never comes out the way you expect it to. And you have to be willing to take the thing out and start all over again. But it's not permanent. It's not permanent. Eventually you get it. And the quicker you can bounce back from a failure, the more resilient you are. So you failed at it. So pick yourself up. Go to the Lord and say, God, is this is what you want me to do? A lot of times we just leave God out. We get excited. So go seek the Lord and say, is this what you wanted? Well, okay, God, if that's what you wanted, then show me how. So failure is nothing but people who are rejected. Freedom from rejection says it's safe now to try again. In order to get to that place, you find safe people that can coach you and help you. If you've got rejection, you just want to give up every time you fail. You feel like a failure because that's all you've been told all your life. You're a failure. It says in Galatians 6, 9, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Matthew 15, 22 to 28. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of some coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her not a word. And the disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she cries after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat the crumbs from which falls from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith, be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. If the woman had a problem with rejection, she would have walked away from her miracle. 
she may have become bitter and angry with Jesus and very critical. Well, who does he think he is? Who does he think he is? Hmm. Instead, she persisted with a good attitude and her daughter was made whole. Rejection will make you give up at first cry out to the Lord. Well, I guess, guess God doesn't care about me. He cares about her. He doesn't care about me. I always joke with Clarence and say, you know, when we get to heaven, are you going to just like forget me and just go off with your first wife somewhere? <laughs> and I know there's no marriage or given in marriage in heaven, but I always joke about it and say, you know, are you going to just go off with all the cool people and just like forget me and forget all the years we had together? <laughs> so I put him on the spot like that sometimes because I know that's not true. But I'm glad in heaven for all these ministries that think there's something. We're all going to be equal there. There's not going to be like these big, huge ministries up there. Rejection is feeling-based and requires constant approval and attention from others in order to feel good. If you've been or felt rejected, you must examine your motive for service because if love is not the true motive, then you're going to set yourself up for rejection when things don't go in your favor or nobody tells you how awesome you are. So we have to have the motive of service has to be pure no matter what we do, even in the church. No one is responsible to make you feel good. Nobody's responsible to notice what you do in the church. As long as you focus your existence on maintaining your well-being, you will remain in a rejection-conscious, fear-driven state. Remember, you cannot look to man constantly to be affirmed. And this is why we have to deal with the spirit of rejection. People take jobs in the church because they want to be noticed. Oh, look at how spiritual they are. And then they peer out because they can't. They have no anointing for it. That's why when we ask for help here, you know that we need help. But we're not going to coerce people into helping. Amen? Because if the, you, you just do it to make the preacher happy, then it's going to kind of just flow by the wayside. But don't take everything that's offered in the church and then it's, oh, there's spiritual Sally. Look at her. Oh, wow, she must have... No, spiritual Sally probably goes home and angry because she feels used when people don't notice her. So we have to be careful of our motives. It says in Colossians 3, 23 to 24, and I had this up on my wall at, at, in my office at the other church. Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for you shall serve the Lord Christ. Serve the Lord with gladness. Rejection, recognition and positive feedback are important, but to do something only to receive that is a wrong motive. But rejection will put you in positions where that's all you want is for somebody to say you've done a good job. But although rejection is painful, God can use rejection from man. And he'll draw, you can draw closer to God if man rejects you. Because where do you go first? Oh God, they just don't understand me. They just don't understand me. They don't appreciate me. Oh God, all the hard work I did. And God will just go, okay honey. And he'll give you a verse and he'll go to Colossians 3, 23, 24. You're doing it as unto God, not unto man. Somebody said, you know, I, we don't want you to get discouraged because it's a small church. We're not discouraged. You know why? Because God called us. 
doesn't matter to me how many people are in pews. I'm just going to get up and do what God says. Why? Because I do it as unto the Lord. You get the benefit from it, but I'm doing it as unto the Lord. God says preach. God says do this. God says do that. I do it as unto the Lord. Amen? We're not discouraged. We're not grumbling. Amen? We're doing it as unto the Lord because we pray for hungry hearts. Everybody who comes through this door has a hungry heart. Why? Because that's what we pray for. We're not enticing them with programs. And seriously, our, our craft class. Or we're not enticing people to come in because of our great programs or because we're going to have thus and so speaker in the house or whatever. We're, we're enticing them with the word of God. You win them with pizza, you got to keep them with pizza. Win them with the word, you got to keep them with the word. Why? We do it as unto the Lord. Fear of rejection will cause you to avoid situations where you believe people may not approve of you. See, that rejection is so insidious. We don't even think. Some of us have lived with it for years. And until it's really spelled out, we don't realize that we've had rejection all this year time. The parable in Matthew 25, 14 through 30, and I'm not going to read the whole parable, and you'll say, praise the Lord for that. But it tells of three servants who were given talents before the master went away on a journey. When the master returned, the first two servants gave an account of the use of their talents. They made their talents grow and profit. The third servant was given one talent, and he hid it and gave it back to the master. So we're going to talk about that third servant, because he obviously had a problem with rejection, didn't he? He denied that third servant, he denied that he had anything at all to offer. He did not use his ability with his talent to produce anything. And he was afraid to take any risks, so he hid the money. He did the safe thing, he hid it. How safe is that? You put it under a mattress, you just hope the mattress doesn't burn, right? <laughs> this servant also, and this was his problem, not the fact that he hid the talent, but this was his problem here. He had an unhealthy premise. Remember we talked about deductive reasoning? Here's his unhealthy premise. My master reaps where he does not sow. He does not see the talent. The servant did not see the talent that he was given as a good gift. He saw it as a problem. Uh-oh. Now what am I going to do with this talent? Um, they're expecting something out of me. What am I going to do? He was afraid of the talent because he was afraid of his master. He was also afraid of rejection. He had the wrong picture of God. He believed that God was a hard man, which was his master, and a thief. He didn't mind criticizing God's character, did he? I knew you were a thief and a hard man. Ouch. I gave you something to work with, you fool. He believed that God would be angry with him if he failed. I think God would have been fine if he said, God, I took your talent, and I don't know what happened. I put it, I used it, I tried to, tried to start a ministry, and it failed, but all I can say is God have mercy on me, but I tried. God probably would have been better off with that than if he just took it and hid it. Probably this man had past problems with authorities or a spirit of rejection. He became afraid. He hid his money. And this man was also unteachable because he had made up his mind and he hardened his heart. I'm going to hide it. 
course. If you ask me where it is, don't ask me. <laughs> and God called him the unprofitable servant. Why? Because the servant did not waste his talent. Notice he didn't waste it. He handed, he gave it back to the Lord, so he didn't waste it. He thought he was being diligent. You know, here, it's like if we leave and somebody takes care of our cats, we come back, there's the cats, they're fine. Same thing, here's your talent back, Lord. He thought he was being diligent by returning it to the master. What was the problem? The problem was his attitude. It wasn't the act of returning the talent that was the problem. The problem was his attitude. He believed that his master was an unjust man, and he was afraid. Many people who have been rejected express that rejection in the form of having a negative or critical spirit. And this is what we're going to talk about next week. They aim that at themselves or at others. They're very critical of themselves. Oh, why'd you say that? You shouldn't have said that. I mean, can you imagine being a preacher with that kind of rejective spirit? Everything you go home, you're watching your sermon. Oh, shouldn't have said that. Oh, shouldn't have done that. Oh, oh you did that again. Oh. And then you go and, and look at the people. Well, look at the way they react. They, they shouldn't have done that. They shouldn't have done that. But you see how the burden of it, if you're free from that, you just walk out of here and forget about it. Uh, Amen? Mm-hmm. You know, try to glean something from the sermon. Don't forget the sermon. But you forget all the things and just move on and have a good day. But the spirit of rejection, and the last thing the spirit of rejection wants is for you to have a good day. And the spirit of rejection is working overtime to try to make every one of us miserable, trying to pick apart everything that we've ever said or done in the day before that. Well, maybe, they're, maybe they didn't say hi to me because I did this. Or, you know, maybe I shouldn't have worn this for the 25th time in a row. Sorry, but I've got two or three things that are really comfortable. And I like them, and I wear them a lot. I had a daughter like that. She had one outfit that she liked, kindergarten. That thing went in the hand, that thing went in the wash, it came out. As soon as she saw it in her drawer, she wore it. She must have wore it like three times a week. <laughs> I finally thought about it. I said, wow, Molly's really over-wearing that little pink outfit. She really likes it, so I, I would like not wash it every time I wash, just to get her to wear other clothes, because I didn't want, like, DHS or whatever, coming down and saying you're not clothing your child right. She's to that day, she's like that. She'll just get something and wear it till it gets holes in it. But you can't, like the unprofitable servant, use, criticize and blame others to hide pains of rejection of yourself. So we're going to, I'm just going to give you, now I'm going to give you some scriptures. Because we went through a lot of clinical stuff. Next week, it's going to be really fun because we're not about conditional love. Ooh, well, if you guys don't come back, I know. <laughs> I know we have a problem. But in Revelation 21.7, it says, He that overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. We can overcome rejection. By the grace of God, God gives us a grace to see ourselves in a different light. If you look in the mirror and all you see is failure and all the bad things and negative things, you see somebody you can't, who's not worth anything, you see God can change it just like that. You can walk out of here free. 
God does not reject us. It says in John 4, 1 John 4, 4, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And if you've got that little voice in you that's saying, Yeah, but you, take that little voice and tell it to go in the name of Jesus. Because he says you have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Galatians 3.26 For you are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. We're all children of God. Even the caboose is the child of God. Amen? John 1, 12 and 13 As many as received him, to them he gave them the power to become sons of God, even to them that believe on his name which were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. For God so loved the world, God loved us. Mm-hmm. Careful when you're criticizing somebody, you're criticizing God's son or daughter. And like I said, you don't know what, they could have grown up in a harsh family, that's why they're bitter and hateful and mean. And that's when the love of God comes in, because we can... Say, come on, you can do it. You can walk out of that. Amen? And Colossians 3, I want to close with this. It was just too much to write down. Colossians 3, 12 through 17. That's all right, just leave it there. It says, Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man has a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all things, put on charity, which is the bonds of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word, word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in the word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. That's how we're supposed to act. Be kindly affectioned one to one another. You don't know their background, and if you do know their background, be doubly kind. Mm -hmm. Amen? People act the way they do sometimes because they feel rejected and they're bitter and they're angry and they're upset at the world. But there's a better way. There's a better way. And I see people when they're bitter and angry, I just start praying and say, God, help us to be an instrument to reach out and be a a help to those. Because that's a horrible way to live. To be angry all the time or to feel rejected. And sometimes it's just a feeling, too. It's not even real. And that's what the shame of it is. Sometimes it is real. Sometimes you are rejected. But sometimes it's just a feeling. and It's not even, it's not even true. But see, the devil gets these plans in motion, and he just keeps them going. You know, it, it always reminds me of, you know, he gets something going over here with us, and he goes, well, that spirit of rejection is working real good. Mm-hmm. So he just walks away and he goes and he wreaks a little havoc over there. And then he kind of checks in to see how that spirit's doing. 
So see, we're wise to it now, amen? And what I do every class is when I put the notes up on SermonNet, we, I put them up on Facebook, and then there's a PDF file if you go on Facebook. And uh, amazingly, the stats on the PDF files are way higher than actually nobody wants to listen to me talk. So they'll get the notes, and they'll read the notes. It's like, it, it's a phenomenal, the, the people getting the notes are more than the people listening to me talk. I don't know if that's good or bad, but it doesn't matter to me. They're, they're there. But I do get the notes on that. And um, So if you want the notes from any of the class, I, what I do is I, I'll, I'll go home, we'll get the sermon up on there, put it on SermonNet, I'll, I'll put the link to it. When you get to the link, there's a little PDF, click on that, and you've got the whole, you got the whole notes. So you can go back and get, get the things. I like to give the notes because... Um, Sometimes when you you go, you want to go back and you want to hear it or you want to see something. And, and I think these classes are important because, you know, it's teaching us not to walk into our emotional realm. It's teaching us how to walk in the spirit. Amen. So we're going to pray. And I don't know what, you know, where you're at on the rejection. But we're going to pray that if you have rejection, God's going to help you. Amen. So, Heavenly Father, we just come before you in the name of Jesus. Father, we just take authority. We're wise now to that plan of the devil that, that has harassed, that has maligned, that has made people feel less than what they are. Father, we're just careful in the name of Jesus. We just speak in the name of Jesus that the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus is against you, devil. Father, we take authority over all spirits of rejection. Father, and we choke them in the name of Jesus. We choke them by the word. We let them know that their assignment is over. Father, that you are going to take and renew our minds. Father, where that spirit of rejection has been, Lord, we are thanking you. We are thanking you, Lord, that we see that we are accepted by you. We're accepted by one another. And God... In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Cindy, come on up here for a minute, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.
lift our hand and just sing it as a praise to the Lord. Down the 